Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Stephanie Gravel stands as a vibrant force in the world of performing arts education, injecting her classrooms with a harmonious blend of creativity, musical excellence, and unbridled joy. With a profound belief in the significance of a well-rounded music education, Stephanie incorporates her concept-based curriculum design and instruction training into her work with the National Core Art Standards and the IB Framework. A classically trained vocalist, Stephanie finds her heart in the choral and digital music classrooms and directing after-school musicals. In addition to being a respected vocal educator, Stephanie has taught a host of drama, instrumental, and dance classes. She regularly presents on a variety of educational topics and was the guest conductor for the Association for Music in International Schools Middle School Honor Choir in Luxembourg and Madagascar. Stephanie received her degrees from Carnegie Mellon University and Teachers College Columbia University. She has enjoyed teaching at Dalian American International School, Qatar Academy Doha, the American School of Doha, the International School of Beijing, and the American Embassy School in New Delhi. Stephanie is accompanied on life's adventures by her math-teaching husband and two wonderfully curious elementary-aged children. So for our last podcast of 2023, I have the absolute pleasure of uh, inviting one of my former students from Teachers College, very good friend, uh, and I had the uh, really wonderful uh, opportunity to catch up with Stephanie a couple of weeks ago at a conference in uh, Croatia. Uh, Stephanie Gravel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking time. Thank you. And hello from New Delhi, India. <laughs> That's super cool, right? So, it, you know, one of the things um, that I that I would we're going to get into um, is the whole idea of teaching in international schools. But before we do that, what I would love to for you to do is give like a five, 10 minute snapshot of your career in music, how you got started, if there were any kind of um, you know, twists and turns along the way, uh, you know, where you've taught and, and where you're teaching now. Sure. Um, I think like many of us who teach music, I started young, like the bug got me when I was very small. Um, and my mom is actually a music teacher. So I wanted to do music pretty much right away. Um, but I went to school and have a degree in vocal performance. Um, I thought that teaching was failing. That's what my parents did. I did not it, want to be it, like my parents. Can I, can I just jump right in? I That is, to me, one of the, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach is one of the most infuriating things in the world. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So I, for anyone listening, <laughs> stop saying that because being a really good teacher is really hard. 
Yeah, and you're a good musician. So you've got both, in my opinion. All right, sorry to interrupt you. I apologize. No problem. Um, so yeah, I, I have a degree in vocal performance. Um, and I moved to New York City when I turned 22. And I was like, I'm going to be on Broadway. Um, and I lived on Broadway, but I, I did not ever get to perform on Broadway. I took auditions for a little while and was like, oh, this is not a life that I like. Um, and I ended up going back to, I'm from Wisconsin. I went back to my small town to direct my youngest sister's high school musical. We did Godspell. Awesome. And, yeah. And we had 35 kids in the cast and a, an orchestra, rock band on stage, all of kids. And I was like, this is fun. Yeah. Um, but I still was like, no, teaching, no. <laughs> so I went back to New York. And um, I was working for New York City Opera's marketing department, and I was leading backstage tours for group sales. And a lot of times it was school groups. Yep. So I got to plan all of these fun activities for school groups Still, like, this is fun. Um, and finally, at around the age of 27, I was like, you know, maybe I want to be a teacher. Yep. <laughs> and that's how I ended up at Teachers College. Um, I mean... Yay. It was a great opportunity, but it was also walking distance from my apartment. Oh, in wow. Hamilton. very cool. <laughs> so that was a bonus. Um, and then all this time in New York City, I'd been waiting tables and I waited tables on, on a Monday lunch and a regular said, hey, come and meet this friend of mine. She's been an international school teacher her whole life. And I didn't even know that was a thing you could do, like go somewhere and be a teacher at like I don't I don't know a nice way to say this at like a normal school yep <laughs> like, no absolutely I, you know I'm not moving overseas to teach English I'm teaching music um and I went home and I applied to two jobs and within two weeks I had a job in Dalian China so I've actually never taught in the U.S. wow um so my first job we lived right on the Yellow Sea and I taught everything. It was small school. So I was band, orchestra, drama, general music, choir, the musical. Um, and it was really hard, but I learned a lot. Um, and that's also where I met my husband. We moved then to Doha, Qatar, where I did not teach music for a little while. I taught MYP drama, but then moved over to the American School of Doha, where I was mostly choir, but um, I did have to teach guitar, which I don't play and drama and also digital music. Um, and we were there for seven years. Then I moved to Beijing right in the year of 2019. And if you all still oh, know what boy. happened, oh, boy. <laughs> I was in China for that, but taught middle and high school choir and digital music. Um, and because China had its borders closed, my family decided to leave Beijing and I'm currently at the American Embassy School in New Delhi, where I teach choir, digital music, keyboarding. Uh, I've taught world drumming and dance here. Um, it is my second and last year. And so I'm also now looking for another home. So that's kind of what's happened in my life, in my career. <laughs> That's it's amazing. And so I have so many questions, Stephanie. The first one is who are the kids that you're teaching? Because when I saw you in Zagreb, Croatia, 
on the Saturday, there were a whole bunch of what looked to me like regular American kids who were just coming out of taking their SAT. And it was this cognitive dissonance of being far away from home uh, and seeing American teenagers looking grumpy and sleepy. And they just took a three hour SAT. And I'm like, this is so. So who are the kids that are in your that you're typically teaching in an international school? Um, it does depend a little bit on your school and where you are. And so if you if someone is listening and is like, oh, this is something I want to get into. This is a question I ask in job interviews. What is your demographics like? Yep. So mo- like right now um, here at the American Embassy School and where I taught in Doha, Qatar, I actually was like, oh, this is like American kids, but leveled up because we had 82 different nationalities as part of our school population. So, I mean, yes, it might look like American kids, but that also might be the Chinese ambassador's son. And that might be a Norwegian businessman's daughter. And they're all going to school together. So like my son, for example, his best friend is from Nepal. And you get this really interesting mix of all different kinds of kids. So they have like really cool experiences and ideas of what the world is like. So, And they're called third culture kids at this point because they don't, while my kids are American, they've never lived in the U.S. That's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It, it's, it's their own country, basically. It's amazing. And, and again, if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to I'm going to focus on the the international school thing for a little bit before we get into music tech, just because I you and I had a conversation in, in the uh, gorgeous atrium of this school. Um, and I, 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 I could have talked to you for another couple hours. Um, what you know, when I mean, how many music teachers are in a school like that? Are you teaching K to 12? Is it, you know, I know, and you guys have like different names for, you just mentioned MYP, which is the middle years program. Like how are the, how are the schools? Are you following? I, I have so many questions. Are you following like a U.S. curriculum? Is it an international school curriculum? I mean, do you guys, are you like a, a member of NAFME? I'm just like, you know, because, you know, you you are teaching international students, and yes, um, you know you have expat uh, that are living over there on maybe on a business assignment, and their kids are going there. You might have uh, diplomats, politicians, children, that kind of thing. But you also have um, you know multinational um, similar things. Uh, so it's just like what what kind of curriculum do you guys follow, and 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 what's it like teaching in in a i would imagine a, a small situation a small school situation and and being kind of like the ringmaster so what's crazy and i do think it's a little crazy and and interesting about international schools is that there it's like there are no rules <laughs> so <laughs> it depends it depends on what country you're in it depends on how big the school is it depends on if the school is tied to an embassy it depends on if the school is a corporate school or a nonprofit school mm. um and 
and all of these other factors. There are some schools that are maybe not corporate, but they're really heavily subsidized by a company because a company sends a bunch of their employees overseas to this location and says, oh, this school serves our corporation. So um, there are a couple of, and I'm going to sound ignorant on some of this because this is never my job. There are various organizations that give accreditation to international schools to say, hey, if this kid went there, it is okay to send them to university in the US. Their okay. diploma, all of that stuff. But at, aside from that, and th- this is again, a really great and a really hard thing sometimes about international schools is that you never know, you never, you just don't know. I mean, right. you figure it out before you take a job somewhere. But yes, I have taught at an international baccalaureate world school, which meant that, went, which meant that was not American curriculum at all. Right. And then I've taught at American schools that do both the, just the diploma program of IB and they do AP. Or here, it's sort of Amer- in New Delhi, it's sort of American, but most of the kids take the diploma program in grades 11 and 12. And then I'm looking at a school right now that also offers both AP and IB. So it really is up to the school and their board of governors. Um, you would also ask how many music teachers and what. So, yeah, I know of a few small schools where if you get a job, you you are K through 12 and you are the whole music program or my first job. I was the only music teacher grades six through 12. However, at the school I'm at now, which is not that big, there are four music teachers six through 12. Yeah. Um, And uh, like when I was in Doha, there were three music teachers, six through 12, but we had 2,500 kids K through 12 which is big for, for an international yeah, school. That's, yeah. that's very big. Um, but then my first school, we had 400 kids, six through 12. So there's as much variety yeah. in type of school, student body, curriculum, how you get paid, bylaws, benefits. It's really, there's, there's no, nobody is telling anybody what to do. So I don't have a union. Um, there is no union, but there's also, you've already moved away from your home, I guess. Mm. Like, I don't even know how to say that because I haven't lived in the U.S. in 14 years, wow. but most people are like, oh, well, my school's not treating me well. I guess I just leave. I'll find a new country. I'll find a new job and write a bad review or tell my friends. Yeah. So we don't have that legal pull, but we also don't feel so obligated to stay in a place, I guess. If it's yeah. Not I, I, I've just got like one or two more questions on this because it's just it's so fascinating. And I'll tell you, Stephanie, after our conversation, as soon as I flew home, I saw my wife, I'm in my mid fifties and I'm like, you know what? Retirement is not that far away, maybe five, 10 years from now. Wouldn't it be cool if you and I, she's a dance teacher, if you and I just said, let's go to Vienna and teach there for four years, um, you know, b- before we decide to hang hang it all up. And, and, and I wonder yeah. what what are what is the profile? Like, 
who are you guys? Like, it's such an incredible, you seem to be, I, I know you personally, so I'm not, a, it's not, but like, is yeah. there a, is there a profile of an international school teacher? Are you looking for adventure? Are you looking for, you know, uh, being absorbed and immersed in another culture? Is it all of the above? Is it, you know, I, I'm just so fascinated by the idea of spending years of your life in another country, which is really enticing to me because, you know, you only get one trip. Um, and yeah. it's just <laughs> such a fascinating and rich experience that you're going to have. And for you, you're raising children. And it's just like, what's the profile? Like, who are these folks that, you know, this amazing group of people? Um, well, first, I, I to, to plug your idea, I have met quite a few people who have come overseas as their retirement gig. And that's like, that's what they do. They retire at 55 in the US and then, you know, in Medicare, Medicaid, whatever you guys have. I'm yep. sorry, I have health insurance. So whatever <laughs> there. <laughs> um, you know, they'll try to teach overseas until that kicks in back in the US. So that's very common. Or I have friends who like have retired, retired, but they'll take long-term sub gigs. And there's like a whole network of people who will say, hey, the international school in Kenya needs a science teacher for eight months next year, but they right. don't want it to be a permanent position. Can you do it? So that is that is totally one avenue of having it be like your sunset gig, or yep. you're just ready and and you and you get to travel. Um, there are like, I mean, yes, lots of new teachers, and then people like me, like middle aged moms, <laughs> who uh, have started their families overseas. But I guess like the thing that I think everybody has in common is definitely a sense of adventure and wanting to know about like stuff, like the world and see things and taste new food. And, you know, like this last weekend, I went exploring caves in the middle of India that are 3000 year old Buddhist temples. Like wow. who does that? On a weekend? Exactly. We do. <laughs> um, um, so there's that. And I do think that another thing that I've seen is people overseas are, for the most part, great teachers and yep. people who really, really care about it. Um, I think without having, you know, usually like state government or whoever else tells you what to do in public schools in the U.S., we don't have that. So we get to take all of these things that we talk about in university or in our teacher training classes or we read about and we get to try it. Yeah. And so I have never, I can't say that, you know, everybody's a hundred percent every day, but most of the people I have worked with, I'm like, wow, you're a great teacher. Oh my gosh. I can learn so much from you. So I do think that is a huge commonality across the board in international teaching. Yeah. And and for those people that are listening to this podcast and say, sign me up, um, you know, the organization that hosted the conference is called AMI, which is the Association of Music in International Schools. Is there another, uh, and, the, and their website, by the way, is ami-online.org. Uh, is there another organization that you can like, if somebody was interested and said, I'd love to figure, you know, I'd love to see if there's our jobs open or, you know, is there a, is there a website that you guys go to or how do you find yeah. out about these jobs? So Ami um, is a good place to, I mean, look, but you have to be a member 
to see what's happening. And they're more of a network, like professional development slash they help, they right. run honor festivals, which again, if you want to plug something, I did honor choir in Luxembourg last year. Oh I'm doing God. honor choir in Johannesburg this year. Oh so <laughs> you could, I mean, you're taking middle school kids to these places. So maybe you don't want this gig, but um, <laughs> the honor, the honor ensemble situation is pretty amazing. If you are looking for a job, um, Search Associates is the one that is, I don't even know if you want to say most reputable. It's been around a long time. Right. And if you're new, it's great because you get somebody to help you navigate the uh, process. Um, it's also the most expensive. Right. Um, there's international school services or ISS. They have a lot of jobs postings. Um, global recruitment. I don't remember what the C stands for. It's GRC educational recruiting is free. Uh, but they're like, you'll see all the jobs and you can apply to them. But I think the people who do the hiring look there last. You can at least see what's out there. And then I don't know if it's Shroll or Scroll because I've never heard them say it aloud. Yeah. And that is also a S-C-H-R-O-L-E. And they're also a recruiting platform. Um, some people use Thai online, but that's mostly British curriculum, if that's where people want to go. And then, again, word of mouth once you're out there. And yeah, because I, what, I, what I noticed at the AME conference in the cafeteria where everyone, it was basically a, like a, a trading post where people were saying, who's leaving? Where am I going? Are you, you know, I was like, this is fascinating because it was like, hey, I teach here. And I ha I'm leaving. I'm going here. Are you interested? It, it, it's really it was it's amazing to watch. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's true for me right now, trying to recruit. And I have people who are like, oh, let me email my principal. I'm like, OK, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so and that is it's wonderful. And again, that's another international teaching thing. Like um, you make relationships in a different way than I think, quote unquote, normal people do. Right. Because is so transient and far away that you become friends much faster with people and kind of rely on those relationships to deal with the uncertainties of living in a place that isn't your home home. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. I can't imagine. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm fascinated. So let's move on to the topic at hand, shall we, Stephanie? At this AMI conference, um, you presented a session on GarageBand, and it made me smile um, because <laughs> I I I love the fact that you're doing music technology. You were in my music technology course, and I can't take credit for what you got what you've done since then. But it is kind of really uh, heartwarming to to know that um, there 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 may have been an impact. So I would love for you to talk about what you do uh, with music technology and your students. Yeah, you can absolutely take credit for it. <laughs> when honestly, when I saw you were the keynote speaker, I was like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, yay. <laughs> I also was like, gosh, it's going to be like, have, I mean, I was only a little nervous, but I did say, hey, when I gave the presentation, it's because I was lucky enough. And I don't know if everybody, maybe now, like I haven't been to teacher training in 14 years, 
But when I was becoming a teacher, it wasn't always the norm, especially for music people to have technology classes. So I do feel lucky because I really feel like one, I believe in it just fundamentally because I do think that majority of the music we consume as humans is electronic music. So why aren't we teaching that? Mm Because that's what music is now. Um, And it's really guaranteed me a full-time job a lot of the times, which is also something to consider if you're in a smaller school or going international. I love being a choir teacher, but there's very rarely a time when that's the only thing that I can do. I need something else to fill my timetable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That said, um, I started actually right away using technology and the first school I taught at, and no, this is not a plug, but um, because I my family was always a, a Apple computer family, like the first school I was at had only PCs. And I was like, oh no, I don't know what to do with this. Um, but I did find uh, Mixcraft, is that what was? Yeah, no, those? Mixcraft is great. Yeah, um, and I had kids composing, like little snippets of video game music or little snippets of, you know, animation music just to get them out of the class, some just give them something different to do. Uh, because I do think technology a lot of the times gives students an avenue for creativity that is maybe a little of an easier entry point than yep. like an instrument or even writing. Um, and I, at that point, I also had my high school orchestra because I was teaching orchestra. We did yeah. pictures at, at an exhibition um, in quartets, and they had to rearrange different movements from pictures at an exhibition. And one of the kids was like, I don't want to do this for live instruments. I want to do it as a DJ. And I was like, what a cool idea. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so he also like produced his own movements of pictures at an exhibition using what we had um, in that. And it was still a computer lab, believe it or not. (laughs) 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 Uh, But then since then, yeah, my so in my choir ensemble classes, I've done everything from, you know, instead of just teaching rhythm, however you teach rhythm, we'll learn rhythm by beatboxing, right? And so how do you notate quarters and eighth notes and with, you know, boom, yeah, boots and cats. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then kids can record their beatbox into any DAW that does multi-track recording, but I always have GarageBand available to me because students have one-to-one laptops usually. Um, and then they can record a rap over the top of it. So they're getting that creative process. It's still an ensemble class. I use it also for practice tracks in my choir class. I know there's gonna be a lot of choir people out there who are like, no, make them learn it on their own. No, that's not me. Um, they can they can take it home and listen to me singing, but then they have, um, for me, I, I have a hard time listening to MIDI files as a yep. singer. I mean, I can, cause I read music, but for beginners, if they're listening to a MIDI file, they don't know what's happening. So again, I can make a multi-layered track of me singing as many parts as I want. Um, and then, By the way, Steph, with- I got to jump in. I don't think there's anything wrong with making practice tracks and anybody that has a problem with it. I think it's a really wonderful 
way for kids to learn and connect with you, believe it or not. Like when they know that their teacher has, I believe with every fiber of my being that kids know when a teacher is invested in teaching, right? They can smell it almost, right? And when they see you creating things just for them, they, they bank that and they go, my teacher, it may not be the world's most amazing thing that you actually create for them, but the kids, <laughs> the the kids appreciate it. Is my point. They know, like when you when you put up a power something as silly as a PowerPoint presentation, those kids yeah. have had to make those things so many times. They know just how much work it is, and they know that if you made a PowerPoint presentation for this topic that you're teaching, that you ain't winging it, right? That you're not right. just like making it up as you're going along. They're like, no, this teacher actually prepared. So. Um, for anyone who thinks that practice tracks are, are you know, not the best pedagogical way to approach things, I could not disagree more because I think that what the kids get out of it, other than um, hearing their teacher as a musician, caring enough to make a thing to help them learn their parts is so much more important than any pedagogical kind of tweaking that you might Oh, well, they need to internal. I think I, I'm sorry to interrupt and jump in, but those types of things uh, make me bonkers when I hear people <laughs> saying that, you know, sweat equity, which is what it is. Once you've made that track, you can share it as many times as you want. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really special thing. Well, you can get the hate mail from the choir teachers forums then. <laughs> bring, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, w- and last year, um, all of the choirs at my school made a music video. And that was, again, we had to multi-track record kids. And I hadn't even thought about how cool that was for the elementary kids. But again, they they came in, put the headphones on and stood in front of the microphone and could see like the DAW recording them. Yeah. Um, and then we put, we made a music video. So they, they got that experience of singing to their track and so that was really fun and I think that's mostly how I use it in my ensemble classes but I also teach digital music and um I don't know I'm like I have this whole hour-long presentation and I don't want to do that right now (laughs) but um, I've been really lucky to be at mostly international schools in general are usually fairly well off we are privileged private schools. So I do need to make that like clear that we, we are privileged educators. Um, but like at some schools, I've been lucky enough to have my own lab. I'll have my own like little digital music workstations that I can set up one school. They were like, sure. Buy Ableton, buy logic, buy pro tools. You have garage band. What do you want? And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, and so uh, at that school in particular, that's the one where I got to use Ableton to teach a DJing music unit, which I really loved because as a classically trained musician, even though I was in jazz band in high school, I only want to play what's on the page. So I'm always trying to figure out, well, how do I make improvisation more authentic and comfortable for me? And when we worked with Ableton, um, because of the live looping screen, that was really good for me to help kids see, oh, if you know, you make these loops and then you decide when they happen. And that is a form of improvisation because it's happening right now. 
your creation will never happen again. It's happening here, but you plan it. And you also don't, again, need to spend 40 hours a week practicing different scales to have a nice riff come out. Um, Again, the avenue to success is a little easy at the beginning. You can get really complicated, which I think everybody listening knows. Um, But yeah, I've mostly kept my projects fairly open. Um, So yeah. We threw a rave for the end of that DJing music. Unit. Yeah, this, and- this you were telling me about. I you need to describe this event because I think it's it is so indicative of what you've just been talking about, where you can do your own thing. I cannot oh, imagine. I cannot <laughs> imagine a high school teacher in the U.S. going. We threw a rave. <laughs> so it was actually in middle school, so even oh, better. That's even better. That's even better. <laughs> so yeah, my seventh and eighth graders at the end of their their um. DJing unit. I, they had three specific things that they had to put together into a DJ set. I signed out the black box uh, theater in our school and I bought on um, the Chinese, it's better than Amazon, Taobao. I bought glow sticks and invited different classes to come and dance to the music that the kids were creating and looping and putting together in their DJ sets. And so we learned about crossfading and we learned about don't let the party stop. And we talked about uh, optimum BPM for a dance party. And yeah, all these sixth graders and their teachers were in the dark with glow sticks, you know, and yeah, living, living in my 20s in New York, but it was really fun. And I thought, you know, instead of giving an exam, these kids got to throw a party in the theater yeah in middle school and and for anyone going what the heck is stephanie doing over there you know they're they're playing their own music they're playing music that they have written uh and how incredible is that to to imagine the sense of agency that you have as a sixth grader who may be shy who may not have a lot of friends who may you know be awkward socially and you write a piece of music and the rest of the dance the class is dancing to it it's such a cool idea. I, th- I think it's brilliant. And uh, and uh, those kids are lucky to have you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it was, and I used to, I mean, I don't, I don't really advocate for extra credit. I'm kidding when I say this, but I, when I did do a unit like this with high school in another uh, school and we DJed middle school lunch. So even more awkward, like you're a <laughs> high school DJing middle school lunch. And I told them that every time I saw a kid dance, I would mark it down and that would be an extra credit point because that's your job as a DJ is to get people on their feet. So yeah, I wanted to take it further than, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the playlist projects that are out there. I think that's really cool. But I wanted to take it a little beyond and say, hey, DJs are musical artists in their own right. Absolutely. And, you know, being a producer and an actual DJ, like we that you have to know what you're doing and it's more than just putting together a playlist. So um, I, it, it was also a good opportunity to be like, no, you don't take requests from the, like the DJ does not take requests. That's not their job. So yeah. That's right. You know, of- you know, whenever I've, so Stephanie, I know you're going to laugh at this because I'm like the last person that would set foot in a club. Um, but uh, I went to see one of my former students who is a very well-known DJ here in, in New York city 
And his set, by the way, was from 2 a.m. to 3 a.m. And he's like, you got to oh. come, Frankel. You have to come. I, I believe it or not, I dragged my butt out of bed and showed up to this thing. And of course, it was it was absolutely incredible. It was all his own work, his own remixes. And, you know, it's just it's super special. Now, I have to ask you a very funny question. And if anybody knows, they'll they should smile as well. Were these kids wearing ring pops around their necks? I thought about it, but then I thought <laughs> maybe that is a step too far. Like, it might be, yeah. I, yeah. Do, I do push the envelope. I will even admit that for international school teaching, but All right, <laughs> maybe so the because I'd have to explain that to the kids too. Why are we getting candy, Miss G? Uh, I just All right, never mind. I won't. For those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, you're very good people. Okay, so what I'd love to now switch to is, is more of a philosophical question, Stephanie, and that is what do you think the role of music technology in general is within not just an international school, but any music program? Why is music technology an important component of, of instruction? Uh, well, I think it can do two things. One, it can help either organize your own life or again, it can give, I mean, I guess this goes back to practice tracks. It can give students more opportunity. I'm going to sound like maybe your presentation. <laughs> your, <laughs> it can give students an opportunity to really have their own set of tools that helps them individually become better. Yep. So, you know, if, if we, you know, we're figuring out how literacy in general works and not everybody learns to read the same way. Not everybody learns anything the same way or hears things the same way. So if we have more tools to help us help students, and I think technology offers a lot of that, that will, I'm not saying like the teacher isn't involved in that. You get to make that decision, but you're also only one person. So technology in general can help you differentiate within your classroom to say, oh, this kid does need practice tracks because they uh, have dyslexia that's making it really difficult for them to read the music. Yep. They need to learn it by rote and they need to. Or, you know, this kid really does need to practice a thousand times, whereas that kid doesn't need it at all. Um, and if you have that kid who is advanced, then they can go on and do more with their technology. So, and and then you also don't have to sit there and practice with every kid on everything. Like yeah. you can go off and work with kids individually while they're working with whatever software they're working with. So I just think it it's it's kind of smooths out some of the wrinkles that may have been there before to help everybody go a little deeper and a little further. No, I, I love that. I, and I you mentioned a very important word that I that I use all the time, and that is that it's a tool. And just like any other thing in a music classroom, whether it's a boom whacker, an ukulele, a, a smart board, a uh, a metronome, a tuner, uh, a baton, whatever the tool is, you you need these tools to be able to make the subject come to life. And if you treat technology like any other tool, um, in my opinion, that's the right way. If you treat it like this special thing, um, or you know, a, a, you know, a completely separate aspect of music, I, I'm not sure that's the right approach. In in, in my experience, I just don't, wanted to know what you thought of that. Oh, yeah. And the I was also going to talk then about creativity, but that kind of goes with what you just asked as well. Like, 
when I have my straight up, it's really just music technology class, basically. What's great is we can start to talk about things like form and texture and all of these various elements of music that, sure, I can say, hey, guys, just play with the DAW for a while. And they might come up with something okay, but you can talk about this, this like critical thinking about music without having to start with standard Western music notation. Right. And right. sometimes that can be a roadblock for kids. So how great is it that we can create and analyze and think critically about music without that kind of impediment in front of kids? And they can then go and make something wonderful that wouldn't have existed without that technology there to help them do it. Right. No, that's but great. Not just like, hey, play with GarageBand. No, it that's not music. Right. Music yeah. is when you have the intention and the skill and the knowledge to make something thoughtful. I love that. That's great. So, Steph, believe it or not, I've 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 only got a couple more minutes with you, and I have two more questions to make sure I, okay. I have to make sure I get them in. Uh, the first one is the advice question. So. This could actually be advice for people considering teaching in an international school. It could be advice for teachers thinking of incorporating music tech or both. What what advice would you give to anyone listening? Um, you know, uh, uh, either or you choose. Um, my my life philosophy is say yes unless it sounds way too dangerous. So yeah, <laughs> go for it. Um, say, say yes. If you're like, oh, this, this sounds fun. I want to, I want to do a DJ unit in my class. Do it. Why not? What's the worst that's going to happen? Um, actually my teaching college teaching the person who teaches me how to teach, she said, it's not neurosurgery. Like if you mess something up, no one's going to die. Right. So <laughs> you know, if you're like, oh, I want to, I want to incorporate some more composition into my class. I want to beatbox. Okay. Do that try it. It might fail. All right. Then nothing terrible happened. Um, and probably people had fun and start with something small. If you want to move internationally, that's not an option. Everything is large, <laughs> but <laughs> if you wanted about moving international again, do it and know that for the first contract you get, it's probably two years. So you need to know, have that idea in your head that, oh, I can do this for two years. And if I hate it, I can leave. You can always change your mind. Right. Um, but I, like, yeah, I left New York thinking, I love New York. I'll be back in two years. And it's been 14 years and I have no intention of going back to the U.S. except for the summer where I have a lovely house near my parents. Um, but now wait, do you, yeah. I, I, I'm, and I'm, we're not going to hold you to this, Stephanie, but I got to ask, are you, are you eventually going to come back maybe after you retire or are you, or are you, are you going to be like retiring in Phuket or somewhere, somewhere? Uh, yeah. Actually, my husband and I have been looking a lot into Portugal because you can still get a golden visa if you own property in Portugal. And then oh, we have, wow. so yeah, I know people who have a house in the Philippines and that's where they're planning to retire who have a farm in France. Um, and then some people, yeah, go back to the, I have, I know a teaching couple from where I'm from, Merrill, Wisconsin, which is really tiny. And they retired and now live by the council ground state park. That's right outside my hometown. Wow. So you really can just 
I mean, that's the other thing. You figure out what you want and you do it. That's awesome. I, I'm so, je- in many ways, I'm very jealous of your lifestyle because it's just so, it's such a, an exotic sounding thing to do, to be in like a different place. And, but you're teaching what you love. Um, so you're not like. I'm the middle school kids still run and jump and hit the ceiling. It doesn't <laughs> matter what you're in. That's what they do. It's not that exotic. All right. So my final question for you is the magic wand question, Stephanie. And that is if you could wave a magic wand and have music technology do something that it can't do now, what would it be? I really struggled with this question. So I was like, I think this is why I'm not an engineer. Because I'm like, I don't know. It does everything I want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> like even I'm, we're doing Susicle right now. And if people have used MTI's Symphonia program, like yes. we yep. have not enough people in our pit and I'm conducting and playing this orchestra at the same time. And it sounds great. And it follows me and it follows the kids. And like, that's one thing that I know 10 years ago, I don't know how old it is, but that wouldn't have happened. Um, or I'll be like, oh, I wish that I could scan a piece of music and then it, I could transpose it. Yeah, you can do that now. <laughs> or <laughs> I wish that this loop that this kid wrote could be transferred into Western notation so that we could, oh, it does that now. <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like maybe I'm not creative enough to have a problem where I'm like, oh, I wish technology did this. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's totally cool. You know, what, what often happens, Stephanie, with this question is that people will say something very specific about a very specific piece of software. Um, and that's why I ask it, because I'm always wondering, like, what can we do that hasn't been done? So I can't tell you how much it makes me smile to to hear from a teacher. like, I'm really excited about what's available now. Um, so, no, I appreciate that very much. Oh, good. Because I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and I know, like, <laughs> Usually when I'm like, oh, I wish this thing did this, I'll like find the user's manual and it does that. And I'm like, oh, oops. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stephanie, um, I am so delighted uh, that we had this chance to speak again. Uh, I I think back when uh, to the days when you were in my class very fondly and it was wonderful to catch up with you. I wish you and and your husband and your kids all the best. Uh, Have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, I look forward. I'll be in uh, Ho Chi Minh City next next fall. And I hope to catch up with you then, if not before then. So thank you so much. Have a fabulous holiday. And thanks for being on the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. Happy holidays. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.